This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 237. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lum Ramiyasha, and today we have our big end-of-the-year news episode wrap-up. There is so much news that comes out at the end of the year, because it's the fall con season. We got so much out of Anime NYC and New York Comic Con, and especially doubly so, because we missed a news episode in November, so we have even more to catch up on. Will we get to anything? No, we won't, but we will do our best to give you the most important deets from the industry, and from licensing announcements from the past two months as well as a few stray pieces of big news that we're really excited about too when it comes to anime or other things oh yeah for sure uh we've said it the past couple episodes but i think we have just kind of realized like man it is really hard to cover everything but like lum said we're gonna do our best to cover as much as we can so please pair with us before we get on to news real quick, though, we do have a patron shout out. Recently, we had a new patron sign up for us at patreon.com slash where basically at any tier you sign up for, you get a shout out on the show. And that is the case with our new patron, Daryl. Thank you so much, Daryl, for signing up for our Patreon. It really means the world to us, and we really appreciate your support. So if you want to be cool like Daryl and get a shout-out on the show, uh, as well as some other exclusive bonus content, depending on what tier you sign up for, again, patreon.com slash mangamavericks is really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here on the show. When you sign up for the Patreon, especially at the $5 tier, though, that is kind of where you get the most bonus content. We've been doing a lot of cool stuff over at the Patreon over the past year. You know, we've been talking about a lot of awesome series. As you may have heard on the podcast before, my friend Grant and I have been going through our own read-through of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure via the Magmarks Book Club. Right now, we're talking about Stardust Crusaders, and that's been a lot of fun. As well as uh, Sakaki and I are kind of doing our own separate thing where we talk about Hajime no Ippo through the Manga Mavericks Anime Club. We've been watching through Ippo a few episodes at a time. That's been a lot of fun too. And uh, hopefully if all goes well, you should be seeing a new episode of that at the end of this month. But right now you can you can listen to at least two to three hours of us talking about Ippo. So, you know, if you really want to hear our thoughts on Ippo as we kind of go through that 100% blind, that's been a lot of fun too. And yeah, that's just kind of a taste of like what you can get over at the $5 tier particular. We've been uploading a lot of cool bonus content basically over the past, oh God, I want to say four years that we've been doing the Patreon, maybe five years. I always forget. It's definitely been a ride. Honestly, there are some days where like, you know, the Patreon content sometimes is like some of my favorite stuff to do because it gives us time to really kind of go in depth with series that we don't usually have the time for on Manga Mavericks most of the time. So uh, once again, patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks if you want to get not just a shout out on the show, but also some really cool bonus content. And once again, we really appreciate your support if you do happen to sign up. Yes, it really helps us out a lot to help us pay for a lot of the associate costs of producing a show, including hosting costs, including costs of materials and all of that stuff. So your support really means a lot to us. It really helps us out. And we hope that you enjoy all the Patreon-exclusive content that you can get access to in return. And especially now that we have joined forces and merged with a variety of other different podcasts, including the Demon Slayer podcast and Saturday Night Shoggy, alongside some others that We Lore produces, then you have even more access to even more early podcasts or exclusive podcasts from those as well. So... There's a lot of content that is coming to the Patreon that you have access to and is coming to the site and your support really helps us continue to continue making a lot of stuff and we really appreciate that. 
for sure. Once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Sign up if you so wish. Um, But Lum, I think it's time to get into news. Yes, we're going to start off with some of the big industry news pieces. Let's start off with some pretty good news. Drawn and Quarterly's workers have formed a union as of November 14th. They formed a union because they're in Canada. They formed a union under the Federation du Commerce, the FCCSN of the Confederation des Syndicats Nationaux, CSN, uh, with the Administrative Labor Tribunal of Quebec, which has certified the union. And the goal of the union is to promote transparent reciprocal lines of communication between employees and employers and put employees at a more active role in addressing employment conditions. And the union has praised drawn and Quarterly for compensating artists above industry standards that union members needed just to be able to see futures for themselves at DNQ. Do that, they need salaries that sustain us and benefits that support us to continue to show up for their co workers and authors. So it's an interesting contrast to the Seven Seas Union, which was formed in response to pay that was far below industry standards and livable wages. Like that was a huge reason why workers from Seven Seas united together to form their union is because they were not being compensated fairly or being treated very well. But here, Drawn and Quarterly is known for actually having good practices, for doing well in compensating artists and in compensating their uh, employees, but this union is a means of insurance to make sure that as Drawn and Quarterly continues forward, that the employees of Drawn and Quarterly will have more of an active role in being able to keep employment conditions fair and equitable, and to make sure that as they continue working Drawn and Quarterly, that It will continue to be a sustainable job and it'll continue to be a good environment for people to work at and to collaborate together with and just allow people to do the work they do while being able to have a livelihood. And so, yeah, I think that is really good. Drawn and Quarterly has a pretty good reputation and, you know, it continues to publish good work and it seems that, you know, behind the scenes, the editing and localization staff is treated well and the artists are treated well. So this should be good and amicable going forward. Like, it seems like they're already approved. The company is on board. So this is just good to have a union in place just as insurance and just as standardization. And yeah, I hope to see more publishers that currently don't have unions to continue to form unions, even at environments where conditions might be okay now, just to protect workers' rights and to assure continued fair conditions moving forward. I think it's very important to form unions. And since we are like following kind of a wave of widespread unionization across several industries, it makes sense to see this continue to happen more and more in the comic space. So very good to see this news happen for Drawn and Quarterly. To talk about a company that has had more issues with compensating its localizers, Crunchyroll has for a long time had their digital manga app and service, but they are finally closing it down. It will no longer be available after December 11th of this year. They don't have any good excuse other than, oh, you know, we want to provide our fans the best experiences. And everyone knows that Crunchyroll Manga is not that. It is an infamously (laughs) shady service that was incredibly buggy. (laughs) 
boy. Uh, and hard to use. But you no, know, they did not actually say that. But, uh, you know. They should I want to read really the lines. Uh, if this is not a best service that Crunchyroll is offering, they're just continuing it, you know? I think that's telling. But yeah, so it's sunsetting December 11th, and uh, they plug the Crunchyroll store. You can, oh, you can read all the manga there. Like, yeah, not, but it's not the same as the Seriton service Crunchyroll. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that Crunchyroll, you know, it's the largest streaming anime website. You'd think they'd have the infrastructure to support a mobile manga app or manga reading platform in addition. It makes sense as an extension of their business, but they just never gave it the attention and care to grow it. Like it always, for the past couple of years, it just stagnated in appearance and functionality. And the catalog editions continue to dwindle more and more. And with the loss of like old Akadansha simulpubs, like they really had so little of their own to offer. So it kind of makes sense that they would discontinue the Crunchyroll manga application because like quite frankly I, I can only imagine so many people just switch platforms I mean first off they probably just switch platforms to Oski which is ironic because Evan <laughs> did so much in building the Crunchyroll manga application when he was at Crunchyroll and then like you know <laughs> Oski built its own infrastructure and hosted all these potential simulpas so I, I know so many people who just switched to reading those on Oski but then now K-Manga is like the destination for all those simulpas now so everyone's just shifted there and like Crunchyroll really had nothing of their own left in terms of manga that was new and exciting interesting offer so you know I, I read a lot of series on Crunchyroll manga during its time they had some Takao Saito stuff for a while they had some Makoyo Ano a lot of that stuff you can read elsewhere now but uh, it's just a shame it, it feels like so odd that they are so successful as a company they could not like figure out and they have such a big IT staff obviously like that they could not invest more of their resources into like actually making their manga operations functional even beyond the licensing just like making the interface like usable but oh well I'm going to be honest, like, I'm not really as sad about this as I should be because we've mentioned it all throughout the show over, I feel like over the past few years about just how, honestly, how buggy of a service the Crunchyroll manga service was in particular. And so, I mean, you know, personally, I will always cherish the memories of, you know, reading through Ajin to uh, talk about on the show all those years ago. Like, that was a fun experience. But outside of that... I don't know, like Crunchyroll manga just kind of became so unusable for me at some point that I just kind of stopped bothering. Yeah. It could have been so much more, but like, it just kind of like, I mean, look, I, we obviously don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes, but like, it really just came off like they just kind of stopped caring at some point, And I feel like it really shows in the functionality of set app. It really was deprioritized. I mean, as far as the show is concerned, the last time we talked about Crunchyroll manga was probably kind of the Great Sea, which I believe we talked about earlier this year. Yeah. And I think that's the last time I touched the service was when we read Kaina for the show. Because, yeah, I, everything that was a Crunchyroll manga that I read is available on other platforms now that I find much more easy or pleasing to use. Maybe not so much K-Manga, but like still K-Manga has the stuff now. Whether we like it or not, they have the stuff. Yeah. So not too surprised to see Crunchyroll Manga go the way of the Dodo, but I do feel it's like a big <laughs> missed opportunity for Crunchyroll. 
In terms of like other manga or comics reading app getting sunsetted news, you know, Comixology long had been like discontinued as its own service and was just merged into Amazon Kindle. And now the app too is going that way. The Comixology app is merging with the Kindle app and is going to be discontinued from December 4th onwards. And so if you had Comixology... You can read all the books you bought on the Kindle app and on Amazon's website. And then if you were a Comixology Unlimited subscriber, that service is going to continue. I don't know how long it'll continue under that name, but they still are offering that service. And I guess the justification for this is that Jeff D. Bartolomeo, the general manager of Comixology, cited that 93% of their comics, graphic novel, and manga customers are coming in from Kindle to begin with. So it seems like, according to this statistic, that more people were reading their comics on Kindle to begin with as opposed to Comixology. Which I can sort of see, well, if Kindle, you're already reading other books and other stuff there, it makes sense to just read everything in one stop rather than switch to Comixology as a separate app just for your comics. I like the Comixology app, you know, as a place to read comics. I think it had an interface that was very pleasing and was, um, you know, appealing in a different way than the Kindle app, which the Kindle app is fine too. But yeah, it is disappointing to see like kind of the identity of Comixology just be phased out like this completely. At this point, it really is just Amazon Kindle. The Comixology branding is just pretty much dying out and I'm pretty sure Comixology Unlimited is going to get a name change at some point. So yeah, it's sad to see the slow dead of Comixology in a way because it was for so long such a great destination to read comics. But alas, I mean, uh, according to Amazon, you know, the economy is a factor in this decision. They want to pursue long-term opportunities to stronger cost structure. And all this all this stuff is a wider effort to lower its cost to serve, which is like the main part is like, oh, it's just to save costs. Like Amazon, it's nothing. <laughs> the most successful, one of the most successful companies is nothing but uh, about that cheapness. Which is uh, it's shown in every aspect of its company operations. Oh man, poor poor Amazon doesn't have enough money. Oh, I feel so bad because that's totally true. Bezos is making a million less dollars a second. You know how that that's so bad for him. You know he's he's, he's making a billion, only making one billion dollars every every minute now. Oh, the tragedy. He's going to have five less yachts, two less manors, uh, one less spaceship. I mean, you got to feel for the guy. Well, as far as like more, I guess, major companies having subsidiaries type news, let's move on to Katakawa recently announced and they aim to establish more wholly owned anime studios. They are planning to have more anime studios just under its own umbrella, not partnering with other studios like directly owning anime studios. They already own Engi, which created Gamma Ripper, and Izaki-chan wants to hang out, Cinema Citrus, which made My Happy Marriage, and Shield Hero, and recently established Studio Kadan for Gamma Rebirth with a 97.5% investment. And they want to make sure that they establish 100% completely owned studios, like uh, Rising Bull, which is a high-end studio with Eureka 7 director Tomoki Hyoda, which they owned, bought, created this past September. We have been seeing Katakawa just buy 
buy up so much stuff recently to be like this kind of multimedia octopus with its reach in like every different aspect of the kind of anime production business. Just complete like horizontal integration. So yeah, it sort of makes sense that they just want to continue their efforts to like make their own anime in-house like they invest in 40 or more titles a year but they only produce five in-house so they want to increase that number to a half half like 20 in-house a year and probably eventually like even my name for like doing completely in-house but in addition to that they also want to increase the number of season episodes they make per their titles so again katakawa is like a reservoir of ip particularly in the light novel space it kind of makes sense that they want to continue to have their own production pipelines for me Katakawa's like continuing reach is like a little disconcerting that there is such a big monopoly you know I go to the conventions and Katakawa basically has like this big boot that encompasses all of their brands that they own here in the U.S. Which includes Yen Press, Jane Novel Club, Anime News Network, and Bookwalker. And you think about that and you're like, they own the biggest news source, they own the biggest manga specific reading platform, they own the probably the biggest like light novel focused publisher and they own one of the biggest manga publishers so you think about that and it's like they have so much control over the anime and manga um, just the japanese media product and market here in north america and you know they are continuing to want to completely have complete control and ownership over all of their stuff and its distribution and marketing and production and selling worldwide and it's like hmm this is like a big big monopoly type situation i don't know how to feel so far things are going okay for all these different operations and businesses but i'm always a little skeptical and i'm always a little uh on my toes on on edge just kind of concerned about like kind of the growing monopolization of certain companies by other companies much like Crunchyroll you know but this news is going to be interesting to see how this affects the production of anime adaptations and Katakawa titles going forward and like you know especially in the idea of like increased episode accounts and seasons what that means for certain series adaptations going forward how many episodes per season would they be interested in how many seasons would they green that up front and all that stuff now, speaking of acquisitions and a big, big publisher buying another thing as a subsidiary, Suryaka Khan recently announced they have acquired Tokyo Otaku Mode as a wholly owned subsidiary, with Suryaka Khan's uh, Nobuhiro Oga to serve as the chair of the Tokyo Otaku Mode's board of directors. So yeah, TOM is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Shugaku Khan. Tokyo Otaku Mode is like, you know, one of the, the bigger seller of otaku goods an overseas promotion of events and stuff so now they basically own like kind of this big merch and marketing arm Shogaku Khan which I mean they already had that stuff but this is another thing of like oh big horizontal integration like owning things in-house to kind of support other aspects of your business so that's interesting to me it seems that there isn't going to be a big like executive staff shakeup because, you know, the current co-founder, Nomitsu Kodaka, who is current president and representative director, and his vice president and director, Hajime Aitaka, are continuing to serve in their current roles. There's also still a lot of details to be worked out, uh, including stock acquisition price, and that has not been disclosed because both are private companies. 
But yeah, it's interesting. But it really seems that Shukaku-kan targeted Tokyo Otaku Mode for their overseas network and distribution capabilities as a part of an effort to expand Shukaku-kan's presence overseas, which when you consider Shukaku-kan as a brand, it's not necessarily that well-known overseas. I mean, that's the whole point of like our friends at Saturday Night Shaggy, like creating their own podcast and Sakaki having his own like Twitter weekly Shukaku-kan edition to like talk about Shukaku-kan manga and probably and stuff it's like shoggy stuff it's not as well known their brands are not as well known as shueisha stuff but it seems that with this acquisition of tom shogakukan is really having an eye out of like we want to make our brands and our stuff more well known internationally and overseas outside of japan which is going to be interesting and we'll see in what capacity how that plans out um, I just hope that they do not continue investing in NFT projects like Tokyo Takamo was doing because, I mean, I guess one of those recently came out. I heard it was pretty bad. Uh, no one talks about it anymore. So <laughs> hopefully that abject failure convinces them that the NFT bubble has burst and uh, not much easier than that. Please. In terms of other big publisher acquisitions, this is a pretty big one. You know, Simon & Schuster, you know, it's been trying to shop itself around for a while. You know, they tried to sell themselves to Penguin Random House. That merger didn't go through, resulting in the CEO of Penguin Random House having to resign and all that. And uh, yeah, like Paramount Global, there was this whole issue with like trying to get them to approve an acquisition that didn't pan out. But it seems that Simon Schuster finally found a buyer. And KKR, Colbert Kravitz, Roberts and Company, has acquired Simon Schuster from Paramount for $1.62 billion. Jonathan Karp remain as the chief executive officer at Simon & Schuster, and Karp says that this acquisition will allow them to return to their roots as a standalone company, an opportunity for them to forge a new path together, and it makes Simon & Schuster the only independent major trade publisher in the U.S. So, in many senses, this is kind of a good thing in the sense that like yeah Simon & Schuster is independent again like it's not even a part of a bigger conglomerate like Paramount uh, it's definitely not you know it doesn't it means there isn't like this consolidation of publishers that we were worrying about with Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster's merger in fact like this kind of solidifies well Simon & Schuster now remains an independent player on the market and they have this big like financial like back I mean it's not I feel like saying that it's independent, I mean, I guess it's not owned by a bigger company, but like being owned by an investment forum means like, well, they're still like not technically independent. They're like owned by someone else and not another kind of group of people. But like it is, it is like nice that they're not part of this like bigger media conglomerate and they're not merged with another publisher. So that means one less major publisher on the market. So yeah, that's nice to see how this was played out. That Simon Schuster is like kind of independent. And you know what? This comes after other good moves for the company, news for the company in that like the company had had such an improved performance in 2023 and 2022. Like in 2022, they were up like 29% compared to 2021. So Simon producer has really made a turnaround as a company and uh this is a pretty good like place to be in it i think you know for its independence and for like kind of just uh, the general health for the publishing market here in north america this is relevant, of course, to manga because Simon & Schuster is like the major distributor of Viz's titles across North America. So this means that Viz 
they are secure in like having their main publishing partner be independent as a distributor. And it means, thankfully, it means like, you know, the Penguin Random House doesn't have a monopoly over manga publishing here in the US because Penguin Random House, you know, this was the whole reason why we were worried about this merger between Simon Schuster and Penguin Random House. Because Penguin Random House, you know, they distribute for Seven Seas, Kadansha, Square, and Dark Horse, which is like most of the other major manga publishers here on the market that are like really small publishers. So yeah, keeps that independence for Viz as the, the biggest manga publisher from other publishers, uh, keeps the health of the publishing market in North America alive. And here's hoping KKR is kind of trustworthy as far as uh, these investment firms go, which, you know, investment firms, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, trust them because of some of the biggest practices they can do, but... You know, if they're keeping things the same at Simon & Schuster, if they're offering all SNS employees equity stakes, and if they're, you know, leveraging their resources support to help Simon & Schuster continue to grow as a company in light of their recent financial successes and continuing to maintain their, their independence from other publishers and their media conglomerates, I think that will turn out to be a good thing. So positive story as far as acquisitions go here in the manga market. Now let's get into, as a transition into our list news, some stats. And recently, we got some interesting Manga Plus stats from a Manga Plus media guide released by Shueisha Ad Navi, which is like kind of a platform marketing outreach thing for advertisers. And it released a lot of interesting new data information about Manga Plus as of October 2023. So to get into it, the top countries that use Manga Plush include the US, Indonesia, Thailand, France, Brazil, the Philippines, Mexico, India, Germany, Malaysia, and the top 10 works in terms of readership as of October 2023 were One Piece, Jujutsu Kaisen, Kagurabachi, Boruto, Chainsaw Man, MHA, Oshinoko, Dragon Ball Super, Don the Don, and Spy Family. Kagurabashi is so interesting that they highlighted it. Because it's like, Kagurabashi just started in, like, September. And has, apparently it's a considered a top 10 work in recent readership. Surely not all time. But it's so interesting that in this marketing materials uh, that they created, they chose to highlight Kagurabashi. Which, to me, speaks to the fact that, wow, Kagurabashi's, like, international popularity and readership must not be an understatement that Joesha themselves are acknowledging it as like a it is a popular title on their platform. Hey, better watch out. Kagurabachi just might make it to the big three yet. You'll you'll see. You'll see. Well, I don't I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I don't think Japan is as hot on Kagurabachi as uh, international audiences, but that disconnect is so is interesting in and of itself. But going into more uh, demographic statistics, Manga Plus in English reading, Spanish reading, French reading, entire reading languages manages a gender balance of 80% male readership and 20% female readership, which for shonen manga is not too surprising, though it is notable how more male skewing it is considering that, you know, Shonen Jump itself is more of a 50-50 gender split. Also notable is that users are mostly in their 20s, but there are more teenagers than adults overall in territories except for Thai, which skews more to the 30s. So there's an older readership in Thai reading countries compared to the rest 
of the territories Monica Plus is distributed in, which is interesting. I mean, it is certainly notable that the median age is like people in their 20s, but there's also, you know, substantial teen readership, which is kind of the intended audience for this manga, so this is reaching that audience even if it skews perhaps a bit older overall in terms of consumption there's an interesting difference in how many physical volumes people in different territories own but Thai readers are interesting in terms of their digital purchases because 53% of Thai readers own digital manga which is like that kind of goes to show that oh Thai readers they have more interest in digital purchases than readers in other territories where the numbers are more like 60%, 11%. So that's, that's interesting, that difference in print versus digital readership in those territories. What it seems users value most about Manga Plus as a platform is supporting mangaka and simultaneous releases. The actual catalog and user's experience have less relevance, and the least valued factors are the multilingual support and the comment sections, which having looked at Manga Plus comment sections, it is no surprise why it, that is not super valued by the readership. They're kind of all over the place, to put it at their best. And then how often, well, this is an interesting statistic of like, how often do readers use pirate sites uh, comparing 2020 to 2022 comparison of the same poll? And for both English and Spanish reading audiences, users have greatly reduced their use of piracy websites. And it's more frequent now for manga readers to not frequent them as much or to never visit them. You look at the statistics and you see that before, over half of people in 2020 in the English-speaking market were, like, reading stuff on piracy sites. Now it's down to 22%. Uh, and then in, like, the Spanish-speaking market, it was, like, 39%. Now it's down to, like, 21%. So... That's a, that's a big deal. And if you look at the statistics for not ever visiting them, you've grown from 3% in the English reading market to 19% never visit uh, piracy websites. And then the Spanish market, you go from 4% to 21%. So that's uh, pretty incredible. I mean, it kind of goes to show the value of having these free legal English manga publishing platforms is that if you offer the official release on a service that is accessible, easy to use, you know, and satisfies people people's need to read the new release in a pretty regular uh, and reasonable manner, then yeah, like they're going to gravitate to that more than the inconsistency of piracy websites and the lower quality usually of these piracy websites, even if those piracy websites might offer that same manga or product earlier. So I think that is a great sign for what a great benefit to how these manga apps the publishers have been producing really pioneered by Viz and their short and jump service has you know really uh brought upon the industry is has really done a lot of effective work in encouraging manga readers to use piracy sites less and support the official releases more so i think that's a great sign yeah i mean that is good to see i just really wish manga plus wasn't so sketchy sometimes because otherwise i would be much happier about this dent that they've been making in people not having to just rely on pirate sites all the time 
Well, I mean, I would like to think that this is part of a larger ecosystem that includes the other like official platforms as well that people sure, are reading yeah. their manga on. So it's not just Manga Plus, but definitely I think the accessibility of Manga Plus and territories worldwide is important as opposed to some of these other platforms that are more geared towards just the North American market or select territories, uh, English language territories. Yeah, cough, cough, K manga, cough, cough. <laughs> yes. Let's conclude our industry news coverage by taking a look at a recent Circana graphic novel sales report in which, unfortunately, it seems that graphic novel sales from book channels are down from 2022 and 2023, though they're still higher than they were before 2020. But yeah, it really looks that uh, household spending overall is up 28% to 2023. But now customers are getting less for their money. I mean, we've seen recently that the major publishers have opted for really big price increases on all of their books by a few dollars at the very least to like on business hardcovers, it's an increase of $5 more per book. So because of that, because of these pricing, increases, belts are getting tied in, and according to the survey that Sakana did, 80% of customers have reduced spending, or they plan to do so because of this inflation. And yeah, as reflected in the book scan, sales of graphic novels from January to August 2023 are now 19% from the same period last year in 2022. But of course, you know, the baseline of sales is still up largely thanks to the big spikes in sales from 2021. So if you compare the the 2022 sales to like, say, 2016, that's still up 78%. Like sales are still really high than what they were before in the mid-teens, but they are declining. And the biggest slide in graphic novel sales is in the adult category with manga leading the way. Like year to year, manga sales are down 27% over a quarter from 2022. Again, still up like significantly from 2019. Still up 351% from 2019, but it is a slump. But not to worry, uh, according to like, you know, industry folks, particularly Krista McLean, the executive director and primary industry analyst for Circana Books and Entertainment, they don't believe this will be another slump like the one that occurred in 2011 after the Borders bankruptcy, mainly for three reasons, she cites. Because there's continued investment in anime, including in streaming, and that drives manga sales. The Japanese publishers are have an increased involvement in the U.S. market. And Scholastic has moved into manga, which she believes will expand the audience. And Scholastic is like one of the biggest publishers in the U.S. And they also have a big, big hold on the kids market in particular. So that definitely could be a sign of encouragement and manga's dissemination to even more audiences and even more volume will only continue to grow. But there is some other interesting news about what the fastest growing manga series in the U.S. were this year. These titles were Blue Lock, One Piece, Oshinoko, Don the Don, Tatsuki Fujimoto, Before Chainsaw Man, and Tokyo Revengers. And according to McLean, while those titles are new to the market, well, Oshinoko is, but generally they're not new to the market but they're new to high growth for them and it means that readers are moving into other series and continuing to pick up new stuff and that there's still adjustment in front of us for the industry and they don't know yet what the new baseline is going to be but the market is not dropping out from underneath manga as a category 
I look at those titles and I see an interesting amount of variety. Obviously, we have Shonen Jump titles in there, but we do have titles from other publishers, notably. We have Blue Lock, a sports manga, a soccer manga from Gadasha. We have Oshinoko, which is like this idol drama murder mystery manga from Yen. And then we got Tokyo Revengers, which is it's an act, sort of an action series, but it's mostly like a time travel mystery drama. For, and that's from some Z. So you have fast growing books from other publishers besides Viz, besides Shonen Jump. But even when you look at like the Shonen Jump books that were fastest growing, we see some variety in there. We see One Piece, like obviously One Piece has been on the market for 20 years, but One Piece has always been a distant in sales from stuff like Naruto and Bleach over here. But now One Piece has really rebounded and we're seeing continued growth in sales and interest in One Piece, which is really, really interesting for a title, you know, 20 years into its publication in the North American market. We have Don the Don, which is of course a digital first published title and in, in certain stuff like it's published on Shonen Jump Plus Manga Plus Shonen Jump and stuff and yeah it's you know really cool to see Don Don be really successful especially as like a kind of horror action manga property and then Tatsuki Fujimoto before Chainsaw Man and I thought it was so interesting that instead of Chainsaw Man they mentioned Tatsuki Fujimoto before Chainsaw Man his one shot collections because those are like an eclectic mix of different stories. They're not like, obviously they're Fujimoto, so they have a similar sense of like tone and sense of wit and writing, but they're not like an action series like Chainsaw Man, like the Big Shot Joke stuff. So that's really interesting to see that title perform so well and be such a fast growing hit as well. Like this eclectic variety of different stories. A lot of them are like slice of life stories. And so we see like a big diversity and in interest in the types of stories and the types of manga readers are gravitating towards. And I think that is so interesting. Yeah, that in particular really shows me like, oh, it's not just Chainsaw Man that people are into. People are genuinely clamoring for whatever Fujimoto has to offer, which is good. Right, we're seeing like such a big reputation and cult of personality and interest around Tatsuki Fujimoto as an author. And I think that is really interesting and kind of rare in the North American market. Like obviously in like our online discussion circles, you know, we hear people talk about, oh, I really love this riff for this author and stuff like that. But in the wider mainstream, to see these buying habits be so driven by interest in the author is like really, really interesting. Yeah. The before Chainsaw Man thing, you know, they could take it out. It could just be Tatsuki Fujimoto one-shot collection. I think it would sell just as well. Because, like, what people are drawn to is the recognition of Tatsuki Fujimoto as a name. And I think that is a super interesting change and super interesting trend that the success of this title is, like, really, really pointing to. Yeah, that's not something we even see with, like, you know, authors that we consider, like, bigger in brand recognition, such as people like, you know, Akira Toriyama. Yeah, I think that uh, the big other example is, of course, Ichi. Yeah. Ito book sell because it's a recognition of this is Junji Ito. Doesn't matter what the book title is, what the book is, people are buying that book because it is Junji Ito. And we're seeing that now with Tatsuki Fujimoto's work. People are buying those books because it's Tatsuki Fujimoto. And that is so, so interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really cool to see because, again, that's that's just not something we see very often. Yeah. And so manga, you know, still accounts for 50% of the graphic novel market, but it is losing share to other categories, uh, notably fantasy, which is really growing in sales. Uh, it has seen a 22% increase in unit sales this year. And sales of middle grade graphic novels has slowed, but the category as a whole has grown relative to other middle grade books to the point that one out of every four middle grade book sale tracked by Bookscan is a graphic novel. So middle grade comics are a growing category of comics. And I think we're going to see like a more 
more, more targeting on the manga side towards that audience too. The recommendations that Mingling gave for retailers included offering items at a range of different price points to offer options to those who are cutting back and to cater to emerging categories of customers like grandparents, kid adults. These are just tweens. I don't know why we need a new category, a new name for this. <laughs> kid adults, uh, what, what? We, what we called what we call a kid who is age twelve. Uh, and up is like a tween that's a tween we don't need kid what is kid adult anyway teen gamer girls and then also to create events around secondary occasions like made fort to draw customers into skirt which are pretty good recommendations continue to show comics are for everyone appeal to different like types of customers who have different niches and interests eventize sales releases like made of war there's so many star wars comics uh there's star wars manga to offer so yeah i think that you know there is a huge potential even though comic sales have slightly declined or you know it's declined by a four which is a little bit major but still they're pretty high for the new kind of floor for comic sales to be, still be really strong and still be really supported by continuing to keep in mind the budgets of customers and to kind of appeal to specific customers, you know, curate, cater, you know, specific like uh, appealing promotional deals, titles, experiences to them to continue make comics buying fun, appealing and engaging. So yeah, I think this is a really interesting report. You know, it wasn't that lengthy in terms of two reads to it but like it offered so much information about where the market is now for comic sales here and like where we could potentially be going uh and how potentially especially the manga sides that things can continue to be growing yeah it is really interesting considering like basically my biggest takeaway is that i don't think we're in any danger of things getting as bad as they were back in 2011 for sure i think we're pretty safe from that for now but I am really interested in seeing like how these recent price increases across at least most publishers are going to affect overall sales of manga going forward. I, I do want to see how that affects things. Yeah, I mean, these price increases add up. So, I mean, we're, we're probably going to see people buy less books overall. And we'll see how that translates into sales. If like the price increase like kind of evens out that decrease in purchase volume or if it like shows up in like people being like less incentivized to buy books to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Circana, I think we should just move on to some list news. And we're going to start off with the two latest book scan lists that we have to cover. The first one I'm going to talk about is from September 2023. And uh, yeah, just to start off at the very top of the list, we have My Hero Academia Volume 35 at number one on the list, which is the newest volume of My Hero Academia. Those usually do very well. And that is really the only volume of My Hero Academia on this list as we move on to a series with multiple volumes on this list. And uh, again, this is something we've been predicting for a while. Uh, with Jujutsu Kaisen, volume 20, ranking at number two on the list, with volume one, ranking at number six, volume zero, ranking at number eight, and volume two, ranking at number 18. So once again, Jujutsu Kaisen, we've been saying it for a while that with season two currently airing, that it was going to contribute to more sales of this series in particular. And I think we're finally seeing that come to fruition. Oh, yeah. No matter how dire things at MAP are right now, that's a whole other thing. I, yeah. I mean, they're they're definitely cracking under the pressures to produce such high quality work every week that it's like, man, you don't have to go like all out like this every single week, you know, work smarter, not harder, you know, but uh, it's also the production schedules and the mandates from the higher ups. And it's like, ugh, have a more reasonable schedule. Maybe 
maybe have this be a split core with more of a break in between. But oh well. Look, I know it costs a lot of money to do this kind of thing, but like I think we would be okay in Jujutsu Kaisen season two. The, those last few episodes, or however many episodes are left, would get delayed. I think most people would be okay with that, honestly, at this point. They should take a break. You know, they should. Anime needs to be more comfortable taking breaks in the middle of a season. You know, and uh, I think fans obviously are going to be, you know, incredibly annoying about that. As we've seen with stuff like Invincible, yeah. Yeah, the Invincible thing is absurd. I mean, for one thing, I feel like. Well, in that case, it's it's also I think just with Invincible Season Two, they're just they're holding onto the episodes for like promotional marketing, just not to like blow everything all at once, but like to kind of you know have a mid season break to like build that pipe. But even if like the show wasn't done, done like that should still be okay, like to give the staff time to work on the show and, and a break and stuff, you know, space things out so that the production doesn't have to rush through things. Like, why would you want a more rushed product that like is hurting the health of the people who are working on? who are bringing this thing that are bringing you joy and your desire just to consume content you know just think with more empathy here about the people who are creating this stuff and like you know bringing you this thing that you like so much yeah exactly but again th- that that's a, that's a whole other tangent but uh, yeah it's hard not to think about that while talking about Jujutsu Kaisen at the moment unfortunately but anyway mo- moving on to the rest of the list so this is interesting. We actually have two Tokyo Pop titles on this list, which I, as far as I remember, I don't think happens very often, if at all. Very rare. The first being Disney manga, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Battle for the Pumpkin King at number three, as well as Disney manga, Stitch and the Samurai, The Complete Collection at number 10. And, uh, you know, this feels like one of those things where it's like, you know, if like a real, like, die hard manga fan like you know one that's like more terminally online saw this list they'd be like well that doesn't count like that's not manga but like i don't know like because stitch in the samurai is manga though <laughs> it, it was published in japan well, no, so- in the japanese magazine no i don't understand what you're saying about the nightmare before christmas one because that is by like a american artist and stuff is like published here in the u.s it's, it's, it's like what we would call it oel and whatnot yeah but like um yeah, I, I would still say, like, how we would define manga or anime is, like, always is in this nebulous space now because things are so globalized. Yeah. Like, would you discount the Kadansha English first simulpubs that they're doing as, like, not manga because they're being made for an American audience when they are being made by, like, Japanese artists or something like that? Where you Would you count, like, work that is made by a Japanese artist for specifically an English audience that isn't considered manga? like monstrous like manga you know it's it's very nebulous how you categorize these things but like in terms of like the aesthetic in terms of like the marketing of like oh we are appealing to the people who like manga this nightmare for christmas thing is considered manga and i think that's fine yeah yeah but yeah i, I think it's just interesting to see this so successful obviously this is like september like in the lead up to the halloween season nightmare for christmas pretty big 30th anniversary this year so like you know the, there's obviously going to be people who are like wanting more nightmare for christmas stories or, or just it's an evergreenly popular franchise in general, Tokyo Bob has had a long success with these manga adaptations of Disney properties. 
Uh, this Nightmare Before Christmas series that they've been doing is like one of their bigger successes that they've been having for years now. But yeah, I think it's very interesting. I think that it's like definitely a sign that like there probably might be even more investments. You know, I don't know if Disney's looking at this, but they, if they do, they'd probably be like, oh, we should have more of our own properties have like a manga or anime adaptation of it because like there's an audience who like really likes things that are anime or manga, at least branded as that, and uh, they'll, they'll flock to it. And in this case like whether it's because oh people want to read more Nightmare Before Christmas or like just are manga fans who like Nightmare Before Christmas yeah I, I think that it's, it's interesting to see this be so successful uh, and Stitch of course same deal uh, more interesting because it's not seasonally connected to anything but it, like Stitch just remains a popular character franchise to begin with and um, yeah I, I think it's so so interesting to see these Disney manga titles continue to do so well for Tokyo Pop they really found a really interesting interesting intersection of fandoms and niches there to put out some successful titles under this branding yeah for sure um and i I apologize because like that sort of hypothetical just kind of popped into my mind because i've been seeing a lot of discussion about like you know because that new scott pilgrim show just came out on netflix and so there's been a lot of discussion of people being like was scott pilgrim actually anime when like i mean yeah it is but you're also right what's considered anime or what's considered manga is really nebulous because again anime is just short for animation and then manga is literally just the japanese word for comics so like like, if you really want to be chaotic, it's all anime. It's all manga, you know? Like, at this point, I don't really care. And manga is like a is like a word for comics that's, like, considered, like, oh, more, like, in the juvenile sense. Like, they call them prestige comics, mature comics in Japan, komiksu. Like, they use comics as a loan word yeah. from English. Mm-hmm to establish like oh this is like a prestige comic in japan so like it's interesting <laughs> like we use manga as a label to specify oh this is a special type of comic here in the u.s and they use comic in japan for the same reason to identify oh this is a special type of manga that's like you know more prestigious than just regular manga because it's a comic so it's interesting yeah at the end of the day these words don't really mean that much they have less meaning than we give them honestly other than, oh, it's a piece of animation. Oh, it's a comic or whatever, you know. But anyway, tangents aside, yeah, it is really interesting, again, because, like, we very rarely see Tokyo Pop stuff on this list. So I just thought that was kind of surprising that these popped up at all. I mean, again, like you said, the, the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff, this is the lead up to the spooky season, Halloween. So, like, it kind of makes sense why this would pop up. I definitely was not expecting Stitch and the Samurai to pop up on this list because I, I feel like this has been out for a couple years at this point. Like, this isn't really a new title. It has. This is like an omnibus of the entire series but i think maybe even having it all in like one place made it appealing as a as a collection as a book for people who are like really into stitch to buy and again like the fact that it is also disney manga it's like oh well my kid likes this manga thing but it's also disney so i know what it is so i can trust buying this for my kid so i think that it has this you know appeal to parents in that way who are buying stuff for the kids too for sure for sure uh, moving on with the rest of the list, next up we have Dragon Ball Super Volume 19 at number 4 on the list. Once again, the newest volume of Dragon Ball Super. And then afterwards we have Solo Leveling Volume 7, serendipitously at number 7. Love to see it. And then uh, we have Blue Lock Volume 8 at number 9. Once again, Blue Lock still doing very, very well. Love to see a sports manga do well in general, so this is cool. I feel like Blue Lock has um, quickly shaped up to be 
Probably the most successful sports manga in the North American market ever. Probably. Like, I would not be surprised because certainly previous sports manga titles we have not seen on this list with this frequency or at this high. Mm-hmm. Like, the closest we've seen to this, like, at all is probably Haikyuu. And even then, that's a bit of a stretch because, like, obviously Haikyuu has its fans. Do not underestimate Haikyuu fans. They love Haikyuu. But, you know, seemingly that didn't always translate to, like, super high sales, just, like, high sales for a sports manga, you know? Well, it was on the NYT list a lot early on, those first couple volumes, but then we stopped seeing it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think there was a lot of early enthusiasm, but as like a lot of long series go, there was a drop off. But with Blue Lock, we have seen not only consistent performance, but increasing performance, like from going from towards maybe the bottom of the book scan to now being in like the middle for new volume placements. So Blue Lock has like the sustained enthusiasm and popularity from people buying it. Mm -hmm, For sure. But yeah, no, it's cool to see sports manga do well in general. And I genuinely do hope this trend continues. Uh, Next up, we have Spy Family, Volume 1 at number 11 with Volume 2, ranking at number 20. Spy Family still does well. People still love it. Not much else to say there. And then uh, the rest of the list is kind of interesting because, again, the manga that we are so used to seeing multiple volumes of on this list only really have one volume because, you know, we have stuff like Chainsaw Man Volume 1 at number 12, as well as Demon Slayer Volume 1 at number 13. You know, series that we're so used to seeing like multiple volumes of on this list, but I think because of stuff like Jujutsu Kaisen doing so well because of its current anime right now, the other series have kind of like taken a backseat as far as like how many of their other subsequent volumes take up this list, which is interesting. Makes sense, though. Next up, we have the deluxe version of Berserk, volume one and number 14. That's always almost guaranteed to be on the list, at least every other month. And then we have One Punch Man, volume 26, the newest volume of One Punch Man at number 15 on the list. And then last but not least, we have One Piece, volume 103 at number 16, along with the first omnibus volume at number 19. And as the article on Circana states, this might be the longest any One Piece volume has been on the list like this many months in a row, which is really cool. Yeah, it's really, really awesome to see One Piece continue to draw in new fans with the Omnibus coming in on this book scan list. And obviously, shortly after the release of the Netflix series, I think it did its job of like getting people to start One Piece as a manga and be like, OK, I'll bite the bullet. I'll go on the on the cruise. Oh, yeah. And yeah, obviously, we've seen One Piece ever since Volume 100 really continue to have new volumes pop up on the book scan and, you know, stay there. And so, yeah, like, here we have the latest One Piece volume, like, three months into its publication, still on the list. And yeah, we have this first omnibus collection of One Piece that was really published 14 years ago popping on the list. (laughs) Oh my god. So that's really cool for One Piece. Was the omnibus edition really that long ago? Yeah. Wow, okay. Been doing it for a long time. Jeez. Wow, it it honestly feels like yesterday. Um, but that's about it for the September list. We're gonna move on to the October list, which um compared to the September list, a lot more series with you know multiple volumes representing it on the list as we start with uh Chainsaw Man, volume twelve, the first volume of you know, quote unquote, part two of Chainsaw Man, ranking at number one on the list with volume one, ranking at number 19, and the box set, ranking at number 20. So Chainsaw Man doing pretty good this month. 
Yeah, I mean, Chainsaw Man obviously has continued to the same popularity. I mean, we've seen Toski Fujimoto is just a popular author and Chainsaw Man, very popular series. So good to see that part two is also started off on a strong note in terms of sales. And uh, there's continued interest in the original first part of Chainsaw Man. People buying the box set and the early volume still too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, we're kind of seeing the same pattern that we've seen with like My Hero Academia in the past, where obviously people that are already into Chainsaw Man are always collecting whatever the newest volume is. And then people constantly getting into the series, you know, with us seeing volume one on the list constantly. And I guess in this case, people just buying like whole chunks of it because, you know, they think like, probably, oh, I should really I should like really get into this. Why start with volume one when I could just buy the first 11? It is just really cool to see. And then next up, we have Spy Family, Volume 10, ranking at number two, with Volume 1 ranking at number 18, along with Spy Family, the official guide, Eyes Only, at number eight on the list. So not just a couple volumes of Spy Family, the manga, but also the manga guidebook popping up on the list as well, which is uh, also very cool. We don't see a lot of these kinds of books pop up very often, if at all. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to even see a guidebook on like a top graphic novels list, because would you consider a guidebook a graphic novel? But regardless, it's interesting to see how well this Spy Family guidebook is selling, like competitively and comparably to other manga titles. So yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of guidebooks, just a little thing I noticed, when ANN reported on this list in particular, for some reason, they have the Demon Slayer manga guidebook listed at number 12 on the list, but when you go to the Circana website, that's not listed on this list at all, so I'm not really sure what happened there. That is a very strange flub. Yeah, that that's really weird. They also did not include the Nightmare Before Christmas manga at number six, which, you know, I guess ANN does not count that as manga, but, you know, for our purposes, we will. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like we were saying, you you could you could make an argument for that, but like at the end of the day, it it doesn't really matter, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, since you just mentioned it, yes, Tim Burns' Nightmare Before Christmas: Battle for the Pumpkin King is at number six on the list. I mean, again, not surprising because this is the October list, so people are looking for spooky stuff to read. So it's not that surprising to see this Nightmare Before Christmas title, you know, on the list two months in a row during that sort of time of year. Like that, that's not entirely surprising. It is surprising considering, again, Tokyo Pop titles don't really typically make it onto the list very often, so that's kind of cool to see, but again, it's just, just interesting. Not much else to say there. Next up, we have Kaiju number 8, Volume 8, at number 5 on the list. It would have been really funny if it was also number 8 on the list, but it is what it is. Um, Kaiju number 8 still does very well. Happy to see it do well. And then, once again, we have Berserk, the Deluxe Edition, Volume 1 at number 9. Very high up on the list. I feel like higher than normal? Well, it's usually on the bottom half of the list, but it's not surprising to see it in the top 10. And then we have Jujutsu Kaisen, once again, making a couple showings on this list, with Volume 1 ranking at number 10, Volume 0 ranking at number 13, and Volume 20 ranking at number 14. So, once again, people constantly getting into JJK, while more hardcore fans keep up with the latest releases. It's the typical pattern. And then once again, we have My Hero Academia Volume 35, ranking number 15 on the list. So, you know, definitely lower than it was on, you know, the previous list. But again, th- that, that's because, you know, the, the other series above it are just doing that much better and selling more than one volume. And then last but not least, we have Comey Can't Communicate Volume 27 at number 16. So again, Comey is definitely another series where people are constantly looking forward to and anticipating the newest volume of. And it's, again, as like the one Shogakukan title that pops up on the list, it is cool to see. Yeah, it's nice to see, again, like something that isn't like an action title uh, under the Jump brand in particular. For sure. Um, 
And that's about it for both book scan lists. I don't really have anything else to add, Lum, unless you do. I think the September list is more interesting in terms of diversity and variety of titles. The October list is, you know, more of the same old titles we've come to expect and is mainly Jump uh, and Viz dominated. But again, it continues to be an interesting snapshot of like what continue to be the most popular titles right now. And it's interesting to see like, yeah, you know, Chainsaw Man's by Family Kaiju number eight, Jujutsu Kaisen continue to, to dominate the interest of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Jujutsu Kaisen, we might as well move on to the last two New York Times graphic books and manga list. This first one we're going to cover from October 2023. And again, speaking of Jujutsu Kaisen, we have volume one ranking number 14 on the list. As for the other manga on the list, we have volume 19 of Dragon Ball Super ranking at number 11. Another volume of Jujutsu Kaisen with volume 20 ranking at number nine. And last but not least, My Hero Academia, volume 35, ranking at number three on the list. So very high for My Hero Academia. Again, not a whole lot else to say there. Again, Jujutsu Kaisen, old and new fans continue to support the series, while the newest volumes of stuff like My Hero Academia and Dragon Ball Super continue to rank very highly on the list. So we might as well just move on to the November list in particular, once again, starting from the bottom going to the top. At number 14, Battle for the Pumpkin King, Nightmare Before Christmas manga from Tokyo Pop ranks at number 14 on the list. And then Volume 1 of Jujutsu Kaisen ranks at number 11. Kaiju number 8, Volume 8, ranking at number 9. Once again, so close to being number 8 on the list, it would have been really funny. <laughs> um, and then Spy Family Volume 10, ranking at number 6 on the list. And then last but not least, Chainsaw Man Volume 12, ranking at number one on the list. Again, not surprising for Chainsaw Man in particular, because like, I think it was really easy to see that once the first volume of Part 2 got released in particular, that that was going to be a pretty high seller. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a bit more manga on this list than previously. But yeah, again, not a whole lot else to add there. Other than again, Chainsaw Man Part 2 doing as well as it is does not really surprise me in the slightest. I don't, do you have anything else you want to add? I think it's mostly the expected titles, but again, good to continue to see a sustained presence of a lot of different manga series on the MIT list. Mm -hmm, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, again, not much else to say about the New York Times list, but to kind of move on to something else New York related, the New York Public Library announced its uh, best books list for adults, teens, and kids for 2023. Out of the 50 titles on that list, four manga titles made it on there including Akane Banashi, Love's in Sight, The Moon on a Rainy Night, and The Summer Hikaru Died. I can't speak for every title on this list. I mean, I, I know, for example, The Summer Hikaru Died, that was a pretty hotly anticipated title when that was licensed. And, you know, as someone who really, really loves Akane Banashi and genuinely might be, might be my favorite thing running in Jump right now, honestly... It's really cool to see something like that series get some attention on this list, especially for a series all about Rakugo, like something that you don't really expect to really do that well over here or get a whole lot of recognition. But I'm really glad it is like it really deserves it. Yeah, it's great to see Akane Banashi, you know, breaks through kind of the cultural barrier of like Rakugo not being as well known as an art form over here to be like something that is really critically lauded and appreciated. So great to see this recognition from Akane Banashi here by the NY Public Library Association. All these other titles are ones I need to catch up on, but I have heard really good things. Obviously, Summer of Karu Died has been on my read list for a long time. Um, I just... I know so many people are like, this is my favorite manga that's being published right now. And so that makes me like, okay, I really got to get on this. And of course, Moon on the Radiant Light was one that I had been really anticipating. It's great to hear just such enthusiastic perception for it. 
And Love's Inside is one that I kind of forgot about and not heard as much about. But when I looked into it, I'm like, oh, this sounds like a great examination of a relationship between a person and a person who has um, visual impairment, you know, almost blindness. And I think that, oh, oh, that seems like it really tackles the subject sensitively and interestingly. And I'm really excited to check that one out. So these are all like all the titles that have on this list besides Kanabanashi that I haven't read yet. I'm like, okay, these are now on the top of my Chewie list before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Seeing the manga highlighted on this list in particular did make me want to check these out even more at some point. Absolutely. All right. But I think that about does it for our list news. We're definitely going to get into our licensing highlights in a bit, but Lum, I believe we do have some stray pieces of licensing news that we have to cover first. Yes. Now, I believe we cut out this piece of news from our last podcast because it was already canceled before that had come up. Mm -hmm. But Noir Caesar had planned to use a Kickstarter campaign to fund the production of their adaptation of Osama Tezuka's Alabaster. A reimagining from a new perspective that places more empathy, more of a cultural context on the protagonist, uh, James Block's perspective. But unfortunately, the campaign, it has set a $30,000 goal to achieve by November 3rd. It only raised about $1.3,000 from 29 backers in the first week. Then they canceled the campaign. So I don't know what their plan will be. I, they, will they go with Indigo? Will they find like an alternative way to fund the production of this manga? I don't think this means the project will be canceled, especially after so much enthusiasm they seem to have for it. But it is disappointing. I did support the campaign and I was hoping that other people, you know, would as well. But maybe Alabaster is just not as well known a title as some of Tesca's other titles, a uh, character. And maybe the marketing approach a lot just wasn't as strong. And I think that is a real shame. I do still hope to read this reimagining of Alabaster when Noir Caesar does publish it. And I hope they do continue to work on this project and publish it because it sounded really fascinating what they wanted to do with it. And I'm hoping to to see it resurface again uh, in a new light someday. We also got a new release from Ablaze, the uh, French manga continuation of Saint Seiya, called Saint Seiya, Knights of the Zodiac, Time Odyssey by Jérôme Alke. And yeah, it's a cool series about, you know, Athena and the Bronze Saints fighting against Kronos, the god of time, who wants to destroy the other gods of Olympus and constructed a doomsday clock to allow them to change the past, present, and future. So this has been actually published in Japan in Akita Shuden's Champion Red since July 2022. It debuted in Japan before it debuted in France in September 2022. And now we're going to get it in English. So if you are interested in more Saint Sia comics, then this is a great new title to check out. I've looked at the first chapter and I think it's like really interesting. So yeah, I'm looking forward to reading more. Unfortunately, weathering with you, the manga, Weathercoat's license to it has expired. But it is available, conversely, on K-Manga, which is an interesting rights situation there. That they have the digital rights to host it on K-Manga, but they don't have the English publication rights anymore. But it probably can be attributed to the fact that K-Manga, you know, is run by the Japanese side of Kodansha, and the Japanese side of Kodansha obviously has the English translation rights. They have the ownership of the English translation that Wertical did. So even though that Wertical slash Kodansha USA may no longer be able to publish the series of print, it seems that the English translation of the series, if you have not read it yet, you can read it on K-Manga. 
But it'll be interesting to see if, like, they ever reacquire those rights or those rights to publish the print version of the series go elsewhere. To talk about some new imprints or new publishers, let's start off with Jay Novel Club, who announced that they are expanding into the European market with Jay Novel Club Nita, a new subsidiary for their night novel releases in French and in German. This platform has already launched. You can already read, select J-Novel titles in French and German, namely Hell Mode, The Faraway Paladin, Saint Magic's Power is Omnipotent, Tier Moon Empire, Brunhild, and Classroom of the Elite. The service costs about 5.5 euros a month or 60 euros per year. And it gives subscribers access to light novels on JNC Nina's website and app, and as well access to an essential form of the J Novel Club Discord server. It's basically a similar format as the English J Novel Club. And there are going to be weekly releases of light novel chapters, as well as, you know, compiled digital books two weeks after all chapters are available on the website and app. The books are going to be available on Amazon, Talia, slash Tolino Consortium in Germany, FNAC in France, and of course on J Novel Club, Nina's own website and app, among other services. And non-subscribers can also purchase books from retailers and on JNC Nina's website and app. Combined items cost about uh, 8 euros with variations based on local VAT sales rates. But JNC Nina will not be directly releasing novels in print, but they're going to be working with local partners in the European markets to release limited selections of their catalog in print in the future. So if you've been wanting to read more of your favorite late novel titles in either, you know, French or German, and especially, you know, if you're European-based, like this seems like a great effort of the increased accessibility and increased options for being able to enjoy your favorite series in your language of choice. Living the Line has also recently started up a new horror manga imprint, of course, headed by Ryan Holmberg. This new imprint is called Smudge. It's dedicated to classic horror manga and indie horror manga. The first license under this imprint is Kawashima Norikazu's Her Frankenstein, originally published in 1986. It is called a psycho horror classic that horror manga master Junji Ito himself called a frightening but moving story about an unfortunate individual who lost in search of his true self finds his own annihilation instead. Basically about a kid who's a wimpy mess, his parents don't love him, he meets a beautiful girl who's very sickly but also obsessed with movies and mayhem. She doesn't love him either, or anyone else, but she needs him. So he becomes the man she wants, and the monster she wants, he becomes her Frankenstein! And so it certainly sounds very bizarre and sadomasochistic as described by Holmberg. Uh, apparently it was considered a finale to a specific cult era of Japanese horror comics. And even more crazily, a few years after this book was published, the author <laughs> burned all of his books and abandoned Tokyo and was never heard from again. So there's like a real life like mystery element to this the publication history of this series, which is insane. So yeah, it's this new imprint smudge is going to be dedicated to classic pulp horror, dark fantasy. And of course, Ryan Holbrook is like going to be curating and translating it all. And it'll of course also include essays by other mangaka, including uh, mangaka Kawakatsu Tokushige and the collector Midori no Gosen Kugi. This book is slated for release in spring of 2024. 
more titles and uh, more information coming soon. So yeah, this is a this is a title that I'm definitely very much anticipating for next year. The real life story and the actual story sound so wild. So I am very much looking forward to what Smudge is going to continue to publish with this dialogue going forward. Because this is pretty crazy. Next, in terms of like new publishers, uh, new imprints, Alien Books has announced that they are breaking into the manga market, the English manga market, with a new imprint of their own, Alien Manga. And they have announced five new licenses. Fake Rebellion by Yusheng Sasaki, which is gonna, all these titles are gonna come out in spring 2024, except for Kenya Rock, which is July 2024. But so the first one is Fake Rebellion by Yusheng Sasaki, coming out March 2024. It's going to be about, you know, a few dystopic future where humans are in the control of a machine empire ranked according to arbitrary ranks and the principles of former empire, along with a devoted group of low rank orphans, dreams of revolution, and they all betted on humanity's last hope, the mortal genesis impulse to open a path to their future. Then they also got Enroll. Black, which is by Kentetsu and Hara Nakazada, so like seemingly a sibling duo pair there. And this is going to come out on March 2024. This is after the suicide of a girl. Her brother is desperate for answers and his guardian angel wants to help. And this divine intervention actually, though, may be closer to a deal with the devil. And because the guardian angel tells him, you got to kill your sister's killer. And if you do that, I'll bring her back to life. So is he going to bet his own life for a chance to save his sister? He may not like the answer that awaits him at the end of this twisted game. The next title is Momo Legendary Warrior by Yuji Kobayashi, Zizus 1, and Naoto Tsushima, about a mysterious astronaut who crashes on a planet called Tierra, where he finds an aggressive alien species, and also Momo, a legendary warrior goddess. So, a romance spark as they fight for their survival, what happened to mankind? It's basically a alternative version of Momotaro with a cosmic twist. So that sounds quite interesting. I mean, it certainly, you know, is alluded to in the title and the protagonist's name that, oh, it's a, it's a take on Momotaro. So very, very curious to see more of that one. And I certainly like the design of Momo. And we got next Kerberos in the Silver Rain by Lyra Aikawa and Barry Starr. This is coming out April 2024. This is about an organization called the Caraburros Organization Omega Team, who has the mission of predicting the mysterious Psy element, a secret substance that drives the development of an entire country. But while they may be an invincible elite squad, their greatest enemy hides behind closed doors, and as tension builds within the group, Sakia's trouble past reveals with a hidden aspect of her personality that's going to change everything, and could put the whole world on a path to destruction. And the final title of their launch slate is Kin Ryo Rock by Bingo Morihashi and Manabu Akishige, with Volume Zero releasing in July 2024. Promising blood, sex, and rock and roll, this is set in a world where vampires live along humans, but coexistence is not easy. And the moment they don't follow the rules, there are special agents who are prepared to take them down, some with the strength of the law, and others with the power of rock. So this prequel volume called Moon Age Daydream is going to set the stage with three short stories about the main characters that are going to collide in the main series, which volumes 1 through 3 have the subtitle Code Amitra. 
So Alien Books had a boot at a NYC. I actually met with the publishers, the heads of the, the company. They were pretty nice dudes. They're pretty interesting just kind of learning about, like, uh, you know, what they're trying to achieve with Alien Books. And they also appeared in, like, these samplers of previews of all these five new series. And I will say, you know, they put it in very small text of the back cover suggested for mature readers, but uh, that's kind of really underselling it because there is like straight up like Kimrio Rock begins with a sex scene. Like literally the first panel of Kimrio Rock is like a woman's butt and she is like riding a dude. Wow. You see a toothpaste spread of, the, of them having sex. Wow. Of the riding show. Like the first couple pages are just these characters having sex fully naked and stuff and it's like wild that they were able to like distribute this maybe because they weren't like actually selling selling it but they got away with like publishing and distributing this at anime nyc just went full there's full part of nudity in other titles like in momo but this like was like a straight up sex scene in this this first chapter <laughs> in this manga sampler so that was wild that they included this. Yeah, but, uh, you know, reading through the sample reads of these titles, there are a lot to be interested in. Uh, I'm particularly curious about Enroll Black and Momo. Kimrio Rock, just by the description, like, we didn't get to the rock and roll part in the sampler, but, like, you know, just the way it starts with, like, this vampire girl and this dude having sex is, uh, is bizarre and funny, so. Well, it's, it's definitely, I mean, that's one way to get the attention of your audience. Certainly has me sold. And if I got your attention, listeners, I got a lot of these like sampler books back with me to put out in next year's like survey giveaway. So uh, if you want to have a preview of these titles, enter the survey next year and you could have a chance to like get this sent to you. And uh, they had a huge surplus of these samplers left over. Like I was talking with a representative after the show closed and there was still like a stack of books they had left of these. And she was like, you know, I have never had a harder time trying to convince people to take something for free but i think it's just because like you know they were in a kind of awkward position in the con their boot and obviously they're a new publisher and a lot of people knew them or knew these titles but like yeah it's it was kind of it was a little disappointing they were left over probably like a hundred plus of these samplers that i brought back like 10 with me just to give away to people so yeah if you're interested take the survey next year i'll give these out to you or maybe we'll do a spotlight on alien books and i'll give this out to people but uh, yeah, I'm really interested in seeing what they're going to do in terms of like the titles they continue to pick up and continue to publish in the North American market. And this is part of an ongoing effort from Alien Books to expand its catalog of comics from around the world. Their manga licenses are going to mainly focus on physical editions of short titles between three and four volumes long. They're going to also work on doing digital releases in the future. And physical editions are going to have dust jackets like the original Japanese editions. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. They're like a long slate and they're really strategy and I'm, I'm really curious to check out more of these titles in full after reading the sampler and after chatting with the folks so yeah cool stuff and then uh finally before we get into our licensing list there's one particularly special and kind of like under the radar announcement that i wanted to talk that came out of last weekend that i thought was a pretty big deal and that is drawn and quarterly has licensed sampe shirato's legend of kamui manga 
Now, contrary to the ANN article, this is not like the first English release of this series because Viz did release the Legend of Kongwe in English like back in the day. It was like one of their launch titles. But this is big. This is like Sampei Shrouder's original 1964 series. And I think that's kind of the distinction is that this is like the early, earliest stuff of Legend of Kongwe is getting released for the first time in English. And yeah, it's going to be available in 10 volumes. The first volume is coming out fall 2024. It's going to be translated by Dr. Richard Rubinger and who else but manga scholar Ryan Olberg himself is editing the series. And of course, Legend of Conway follows Conway, the rogue ninja who tries to feed himself from the iron fist of his own clan and as a society as a whole in feudal Japan. Basically, known wolf and cub, but with ninja except for Samurai. And uh, yeah, like Kamui, of course, was a long running title in monthly Mangagaro from 64 to 71. Sean Pichirato was uh, played a huge role in the formation of avant-garde manga magazines. The Legend of Kamui, a spin-off manga, ran in a weekly show on Sunday from 65 to 67 and then continued from 82 to 87. And that's what Viz translated before. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah. This is uh, big news, and you know what was so surprising is that Chronic Quarterly did not make a big announcement about this, and that's how people found out. Literally, like, they had, like, a postcard at their boot at Anime NYC, where they were like, oh, we've like some Legend of Kamui, here's here's information about Legend of Kamui. And people were like, wait, wh- what? <laughs> and when did they announce this? What is this info? This is new information. They should have made a bigger deal of this. Why didn't you announce this at a- another panel? Like, Chronic Quarterly didn't have a panel at Anime NYC, but they did, like, say Send out a press release before this news came out. Literally how people found out it was like going to their boot at Anime NYC and seeing this like postcard that they had up and were giving out. It was like, oh, hey, we have Legend of Conway. Legend of Conway. It's like, what? What? Well, where? Whoa, this is big news. So that was wild. I remember finding out. I'm like, wait, what? When? How? <laughs> this is cool, but like, damn. But yeah, so Legend of Conway. This is like a pretty big get. Uh, in terms of classic manga like this is insanely important influential title that is like never really seen a full english release here and now we're getting that and it's like wow that is pretty great now i don't know if it is necessarily the last great comics epic that hasn't been trouble distinguished like executive editor tom devlin is told because i think there are a lot of other classic manga that are great comics epics that have not been published english yet but yeah it was great that you know they got approached with this opportunity to publish the series they plan to publish this as quickly as they can and yeah it certainly sounds like it is going to be a blast and uh, i'm certainly excited i hope that if this does well they also re-release the legend of conway or this is encouraged to re-release the legend of conway uh in its completion too but yeah this is a big big license announcement especially for a classic manga and i am really excited for it mm-hmm. yeah this is definitely a classic manga that obviously because it's it hasn't been available here in a while at least like I don't really know much about it other than it is a very important piece of comics history and I don't know I hope this does well because I I genuinely cannot wait to support this absolutely and now with uh, all of that catch-up stuff out of the way we're going to run through our licensing list and there were so many licenses to come out of the last two months what were all the big cons and stuff that you know we're not going to get to everything but we do have a curated selection of about uh, 10-ish titles each that we want to go over Colton if you want to start off with your selections 
Yeah, sure. I could start off. I have a collection of about like nine titles or so that I want to talk about in particular. The first one I'm going to talk about is actually a Bookwalker exclusive with Sentence to Be a Hero, the prison records of Penal Hero Unit 9004, which is a light novel manga adaptation by Natsumi Inoue. And like I said, this is being released exclusively on Bookwalker three months ahead of other stores. So if you want to be as up to date as possible on the series, you want to go to Bookwalker. Being sentenced to hero ship was the most severe punishment one could be given. Heroes would be sent to the front line of a never-ending battle against the demon lords. Not even death could relieve them of their duty. There was no end to the prison sentence. Even if they fought for a hundred years, they would still not be released. Only by killing every last demon lord would they be pardoned for their crimes, and that was no more than a pipe dream. However, things might be different for Zyro, Penal Hero Unit 9004. He accidentally meets a goddess, and she asks him to be her knight. I did think this was really interesting. I really loved the idea. You know, it's kind of Suicide Squad-ish almost, where it's like, oh, we're going to use these prisoners for a mission or a, or a war or whatever. Like, I always find those kinds of stories, like, really interesting. So, yeah, I, I would definitely love to check this out. Next up, I want to highlight a title from Kodansha with Tank Chair by Manabu Yashiro. This will be coming to print in fall 2024, in which Shizuka takes on the most dangerous of assassin jobs, but she's not the one doing the killing. Rather, it's her brother Nagi, a strong assassin who took a bullet to protect his sister, leaving him in a comatose state and having to use a wheelchair. However, Shizuka has figured out the key to waking her brother up, and that is he must be faced with killing intent. Thus begins a violent journey of recovery, battling the most dangerous foes. So this is a really interesting mix of different things. I'm always interested in manga centered on characters that are like physically disabled. I do think those kinds of stories are really interesting and really important for, you know, as far as like representation of those sorts of people go. It's really cool to see stories like that, but also like, you know, someone who's also like an assassin too and can like still do his job and still also be kind of cool. I don't know. I just, I feel like this is one of the most interesting premises for a series I've seen in a while. And like, this was one where I, I also kept seeing like cover art for it and something about like its aesthetic, like really pulls me in. Like I genuinely really want to check this out. Like this looks really badass. Definitely going to check that out. Next tile I want to highlight is one from Seven Seas with Nas and Zakuro by Rariatu. Volume 1 of this series in particular will be having an early digital release with the physical edition coming later in April 2024, in which in Shadowsville, a supernatural land that exists between this world and the next, there lives a pair of spooky vampires. Well, not that spooky. The beautiful Nas, aka Nosferatu, and her adopted daughter Zakuro doesn't even suck human blood, since that's kind of gross and mean. A juice box equivalent sustains them as they frolic around their town, shopping for anti-sun accessories, meeting up with other monster buddies, and supporting each other like a real mother and daughter, because blood is less important when you find a good substitute. So this is a series that, judging from its premise and the cover, I think is going to be extremely cute. I really like the idea of a cute, comedic slice of life series of just a vampire mother and daughter. I think this sounds like the kind of thing that could be like extremely cute, and I really want to check this out eventually. It is really cute. I've seen Nas and Zakuro art like on Twitter for a long time because I follow the artist. I always liked the character design of Nas in particular. So I'm really excited to see like the comics like be collected and getting a release from Seven Seas. Like I'm looking forward to that. Next up, I want to highlight a few titles from Viz Media in particular. The first one being I Want to Do Bad Things With You by Yutaka. All of these, by the way, are going to be coming out uh, next summer in 2024. 
This series in particular is about Fuji, who asks uh, Wataya to drain the school pool for him, and because of that, she gets her first taste of the hide that comes from breaking the rules, and now Wataya is ready to start doing bad things. Again, this sounds very, very cute. The idea of this seemingly sort of like straight edge character who's very like probably kind of obsessed with following the rules or at least rules hold a very big importance to them. And then they find out like, oh, it's kind of fun to like break the rules every once in a while. Like they start getting that high. And I think that sounds like a very cute conceit for a series. Next up is Fool Night by Kasumi Yasuda in which, in a post-apocalyptic future where the sun no longer shines, Toshiro tries to save his ailing mother by turning his body into a plant. And I will be totally honest, this series I really wanted to highlight because this is a series that, you know, good friend of the show, Zach Uchushelf, uh, has been really, like, championing for, like, it feels like years at this point. Like, a series that I know that he in particular is, like, very, very into, and this is a series that he's been wanting to see licensed. And, um, honestly, I was not expecting Viz to pick this up. Like, this feels like the kind of thing that maybe Yen Press or Seven Seas would pick up, so I'm, I'm surprised to see Viz in particular pick this up, but it is still really cool to see. And obviously, I know Fool Knight came out before this, but the premise sort of reminds me of Wild Strawberry recently, where it, that is also a series that is set in a post-apocalyptic setting where plants have, like, taken over. So, like, it is sort of similar in that way, but I, I you know, I, I'm assuming, obviously, it's not totally the same thing. Again, I, I don't really know much else about the series outside of, like, what Zach has talked about online, but his passion for the series has really made me interested in checking this out eventually. And I believe this is another series that like I've kind of seen around here and there a little bit, and this is why I wanted to highlight it, with Hirayasumi by Keigo Shinzo, in which after forging an unlikely friendship with a grumpy granny, easygoing Hiroto inherits her house, but when his cousin, a struggling art student, moves in, Hiroto finds his once chill life tested. And uh, yeah, th this feels very like Barakamon-ish to me in terms of its premise. So that by itself uh, really makes me want to like check this out. But again, th this was another series that like I had kind of seen around here and there as like another series that people really wanted licensed. And when again, it was licensed by Viz, like a lot of people were excited. So kind of like Barakamon, this sounds like the kind of thing that is going to be mostly slice of life, but it's going to be assumedly is probably going to be a very interesting like personal character drama kind of thing uh, at the same time. So yeah, I I'm definitely all about those. So I, I can't wait to check this out. All right, but the last three titles I want to mention are all from Yen Press. Last time I checked, I don't think these have release dates yet, but if they do, let me know. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But yes, the first of these I want to talk about is Amalgam Hound, uh, which is a light novel written by Midori Komai and illustrations provided by Domino Ozaki in which Theo, a young investigator, crosses paths with Eleven, an amalgam perfectly mimicking the form of a girl. In a strange twist of fate, the two become partners on a special mission to track down other amalgams on the run after war. However, Eleven only looks like a young girl. She's a living weapon who doesn't understand what it means to be human. Theo has no love for amalgams, but he'll have to deal with it because a terrorist attack has rocked the nation to its core and someone needs to get to the bottom of it. So again, it might be because we read this recently, but this kind of reminded me a little bit of like Shoujo No a little bit, kind of mixed with something like Psychopaths, where it is like one of the main characters is this seemingly young girl who is actually, I'm assuming an amalgam is like some form of robot in their universe. And again, the, like, the, like the Psychopaths connection kind of came to mind because like, oh, they're being used as like part of a task force kind of thing on these like special missions. So very heavy sci-fi here, obviously, um, something I would definitely be interested in uh, checking out eventually. Uh, this next one is, um, 
is definitely very interesting, and I have sort of mixed feelings on this, but I still thought was interesting enough to talk about, with The Tiger Hasn't Eaten the Dragon Yet by Hachi Inaba, in which in the mountains somewhere, a tiger catches its prey, a lone dragon, the kind that is hardly ever seen. Eating the dragon's meat extracts the ultimate flavor, drinking its blood heals all injuries, and devouring its heart grants immortality. And yet... Upon seeing the dragon's undeveloped stature, the tiger refuses to eat it. Dragon and tiger, predator and prey, is what ties them together simply natural hunting instincts or something more. So admittedly, as interested as I am in this series, this one kind of gives me a little pause because on the cover you could see that, like, the tiger is represented by what seems to be a, a fully grown adult woman and the dragon represented by a young child mm. and that makes me kind of wonder like again i i don't really know anything about the series past its initial premise so i don't exactly know what kind of relationship we're supposed to be strapped in for i don't know if it's going to get into some creepy places because of that i don't know it's really hard for me to judge just on the premise alone like how this is going to be handled admittedly but something about it did interest me enough to where I did want to highlight it. And at the very least, I would love to read this for myself to see, like, what direction the series ends up going. But I really hope it doesn't get into, like, too weird of territory. As the meme goes, that, that's my one fear. No, for sure. So I, I guess we'll have to see on that front. But again, I still thought it was interesting. And then last but not least, I want to highlight My Gemini by Yu Morikawa, in which plain, red-headed, and freckled John has nothing going for him except his two friends who are incredibly popular at school. Twins Jekyll and Hyde, the twins indistinguishable have always enjoyed taking each other's places for fun, but when the pair is fragmented by an untimely death, it's up to John to find out which twin is left. So this is basically like if the twins from Oron High School Host Club, you know, because they constantly play these games of like, which one is which? It, it's basically like if that went way too far. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was like the first thing I instantly thought of. But um, no, all jokes aside, this does actually sound like a really genuinely interesting mystery thriller kind of manga. And like, I don't know, like the premise by itself really has me interested. And like, I really want to see where this one goes in particular. Totally. But that's kind of about it for my list. Again, I'm genuinely looking forward to like all the titles on this list. Um, and I'm going to say especially my Gemini and the Tiger Hasn't Eaten the Dragon yet. I think those are the ones that weirdly kind of like stand out to me the most for some reason, uh, just based on the premise alone. But yeah, basically everything I highlighted in my list, I am really looking forward to hopefully one day kind of checking out eventually. But uh, yeah, that's kind of about it for my list. Uh, Lum, I really want to hear what you're looking forward to. It was so hard to curate my list because there was just so much good stuff that was announced at Anime NYC and New York Comic Con, just in general in between the last couple months. I did get it down to about a dozen. So, you know, I'm really going to get into the best of the best, at least in my opinion, or the stuff that I'm most excited for. And we're going to start off with some Kodansha USA titles. So at their panel at Anime NYC, Kodansha started off by announcing a new English first title. As you know, Kodansha has recently started like publishing certain titles like in English first uh, before the Japanese release. Like this is for like English language readers first. And they previously had, you know, Bloodblade that's still ongoing. But now another title has joined that catalog. And that is The Spellbook Library by Uta Isaki. The first chapter of the series is available now to read with new chapters coming out around every two weeks. And the print release for the series is scheduled for fall 2024. The Spellbook Library is 
set in a world where spellbook librarians protect townsfolk from dangerous spell beasts, sealing them in spellbooks that hold more than just magic. And when he was a child, protagonist troublemaker Jan was attacked by a ferocious spell beast until he was rescued by a group of spellbook librarians. And inspired by the librarians' heroic efforts, Jan vows to turn over a new leaf and become a spellbook librarian to repay their kindness. And on the day of the deployment exam, he meets Toru, a mysterious young boy who has for his own reasons wants to work at the library and together Jan and Toru set off to join the ranks of the spellbook library and begin the long journey to learn just what it takes to be a spellbook librarian. Obviously we've talked a lot about Utoisaki's work on the show before. We've covered like all of their one shots released with Iridori. Huge fan of their work. Their art is beautiful. The way they explore like themes of gender and identity in their work is really compelling. And so I am so excited for a new work of theirs that moves more into the fantasy direction like some of their other titles like Generation Witch. And this series sounds like a great marriage of stuff like Witch Hat Atelier and Library Wars. I mean, I've only previewed a little bit of the series so far, but the art looks so fantastic and, you know, it just seems really, really compelling. So I'm so excited to read this series, continue to read the series. I think, I mean, it's guaranteed to be a subject for a future Simon Pubs episode. And yeah, this is a great, cool new edition for Kidanch's English First initiative. New chapters are published every other Wednesday, basically simul-published, or really just published for the first time here in English First, and it'll be published in Japan at a later date. They haven't quite decided those details yet, but it might even be published in print. So yeah, that's exciting. And of course, the first volume comes in print, Fall 23 4. And also, you know, this series is being edited by a previous guest of the show, friend of the show, TJ Ferentini. So another reason that I'm looking forward to reading this as well. And then speaking of stuff that was, uh, or related to stuff that was handled by previous friends of the show, another license that was announced at Anime NYC was Home Office Romance by Kintetsu Yamada. This is going to come out for release in fall 2024. It is a one-shot volume about a home office romance from the creator of Sweat and Soap. And it's about, like, yeah, basically two people who, you know, live and work at home due to the pandemic. And because of that, you know, they have a lot of time on hands to discover old passions and hobbies. And, you know, they start to connect with each other, too, like on their balconies, you know, being next door neighbors and all. And it shows, like, you know, just these two folks, like, building a relationship, even at a time when a lot of human-human interaction was halted. And what it seems like a tall tale to find romance right at home. And yeah, it sounds like a really sweet series that has really beautiful art. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Sweat and So from Kitetsu Yamada. I remember being so excited when I saw this was announced, like, in the panel room. I remember, like, I think Aiden tagged Sarah Lindsay as, like, yo, what got announced? And she was, like, excited about it, and I think she's gonna try and work on it. I mean, fingers crossed. But, like, yeah, I was, like, I'm super excited. I guess I really like Sweat and Slope. This premise sounds so cute. I like the character designs. So this sounds like a real fun one. last kid answer title I want to highlight is Spoil Me Please. And please spelled uh, P-L-Z-Z-Z. So short hand there. So let me please Hinamori-san by Suke, which is also going to come out fall 2024. This is about a girl who has always looked up to her senpai for her poise, impeccable grades, and kind heart, but that all changes when she stumbles upon her wailing like a little kid in the nurse's office, and it turns out, you know, everyone's favorite honor student in school is just desperate to get off her pedestal and be spoiled rotten instead, and now she's hoping that her friend Ichigo is going to be the one to indulge her. So this is like, this sounds like a cute Yuri series. I think the the cover art is really cute for this. Especially, like, it's it sounds like Omaru-chan, uh, as 
a Yuri series. And I think that's a very funny premise. So yeah, I am very much looking forward to checking out the series. Uh, you know, always enjoy a good Yuri comedy. And this one sounds like it'll be another delightful one. Moving on to Seven Seas titles, uh, yeah, there's another Yuri title from them that I'm looking forward to, and that is Chasing Spica from Shihiro Orhi, which is going to be released in June 2024 in a large trim edition as part of Seven Seas' GL label. And this is about a serious third-year student named Serena who's studying hard to qualify for a scholarship, and, you know, she has cute and stylish looks, but they don't meet the dress code, which the disciplinary committee member, Reiko, has always honored case about and no matter how much she tries Rico always bests her on grades and athletics and one day however she spots Rico meeting with an unknown woman after school and going to a love hotel <gasps> and so what will happen between Serena and Rico now that they share a secret so this sounds like a juicy school drama about you know it kind of adds Kaguya some of it so like these two people like competing against each other and also kind of the psychological like outwit element but then also it has this drama part about like oh is Rico having like an affair with this like adult some woman there's so much like uh interesting intrigue in, in here and so it sounds real fun so i'm looking forward to checking this out for something more spicier something more like uh psychologically dramatic Next, I want to highlight some BL titles from Seven Seas, starting with Yes, No, or Maybe from Michi Ichiho and Yuki Mura. This will come out November 2024, physically and digitally, and they've also licensed two more novel volumes, Center of the World and Where Home Is, by Michi Ichiho and Lala Takamiya, that'll come out in March and June. Digital editions will also be available earlier than print for the novel volumes. This series is about Kuneda K, who is an up-and-coming prince of the evening news, and inside, you know, He's the opposite, though. He's brash, hot-tempered, prickly, but he's always successfully juggled his private and professional personas until a chance meeting with a stop-motion animator named Suzuki Ishio threatens to bring it all crashing down. But is that really as Friday as a possibility that someone might love and accept both sides of who he is? So... I think this is an interesting BL story. Between two characters and professions, I don't think we see represented often. Like a newscaster and a stop-motion animator. And obviously the stop-motion animator character really intrigues me in particular. Because I don't see that get showcased or explored in manga a whole too often. So yeah, this super intrigues me. The characters sound really interesting. I like the, the character designs. And I'm so curious to see how stop-motion animation is like explored in manga. And the part it's focused on as well as newscasting that's another career that is rarely kind of explored in manga too so really really introspection of two things there Next, I am really looking forward to the single volume uh, release of Ken Homerun's Marriage to Kitsune-sama, which will come out in June 2024. This is set in a town called Hokuto-cho, where every few decades they send a human up to the mountain to marry one of the fox series who resides above them. And protagonist Inaho has always longed for that role, and so when he comes to age, he ascends to his new home, meets his handsome new husband, a Kitsune lord named Subaru. And Subaru has been watching Inaho for a long time and is pleased to receive his new spouse, but before their super natural marriage can enter its honeymoon stage, Inaho learns that Subaru is stuck with an unfortunate curse, uh, because the fox literally wants to eat his beloved. So can Inaho and Subaru find a way to break the curse and save the relationship? 
There were a few other like BL titles that involved being married off to a god figure or other romance series in general about being married off to a godly figure that you can draw comparison to. And of course, the danger element of like, oh, my lover literally wants to eat me up. You know, it's always a spicy element of intrigue that can be added in there. You don't think of stuff like uh, Beast Stars. But I, I like the design of the fox goddess shown on the cover. I think that the artist draws really beautiful like pillow cases and patterns. So I'm looking forward to it. The art looks good. It looks like it sounds like a really fun, like intriguing story. So yeah, another interesting BL title from Seven Seas for fans who are more in the fantasy direction. But perhaps their biggest BL license that Seven Seas made is Gravitation, the collector's edition. They, yeah, that's right. They've relicensed the infamous classic BL manga Gravitation by Maki Murakami. It's going to be released in large trim omnibuses in April 2024 as part of the Seven Seas BL label. It would also ebook editions. It is, of course, about uh, Shuichi, a young, energetic, optimistic rock star wannabe and a band with his best friend to turn the top of the charts when a romance novelist named Yuki criticizes the lyrics he takes it badly and wants to make Yuki eat his words but as he follows him along he follows hard for him and despite his cold and prickly demeanor Yuki also likes Shuichi back but Yuki has a past full of trauma he's never really faced and Shuichi discovers that succeeding in the music biz might cost him his soul so can these two very different men support each other and make the relationship work so Gravitation is like one of those like kind of infamous BL manga, which is like so trashy, it's compelling kind of deals. It's one that I've always like really wanted to check out because of its reputation, but never really have gotten the chance to. So I'm really looking forward to Seven Seas' new editions to finally check it out. And also a couple of years ago when we did the representation in manga podcast, uh, you know, a lot of folks I talked to like really got excited about the idea of like talking more about Gravitation. There was a whole like tangent about gravitation so that made me want to be like one day on the show i want to cover gravitation and have those folks on to talk about it so this might be a future topic for the show especially facilitated thanks to seven seasons re-release of it Moving on to Yen Press, we have a BL adjacent title that I wanted to highlight, and that is She Likes Gaze But Not Me by Akira Hirahara as the writer and Noto Asahara as the artist. This is based on a critically acclaimed novel. It's about a high schooler named Asushi who is always hidden the fact that he's gay, but one day he sees his classmate Sai with a BL book, and it's a small moment with major consequences because Asushi longs for a normal happiness, you know, with a loving life and biological kid, but what can he do? he's not turned on by women so it sounds like he wants to kind of be in a heteronormative relationship and so he sees oh this girl she likes the gays she might like me she might like being on me but like as the title suggests well she likes gays but she's not attracted to him as a person you know she likes reading the manga but she doesn't like you know she's not interested in having a fake romantic relationship with a gay person and i mean he might be actually closeted still to her when he's like trying to pursue a relationship to her but what i find so compelling about this is that this is a person who desperately wants to like conform he desperately wants to fit into heteronormative society is not really comfortable or is kind of scared to come out to people and scared to kind of like explore living as an openly gay person and so he just wants to like settle and just wants to blend into normalcy and i think that is like a really tragic way of thinking but perhaps a very real one that i think so many young closeted queer kids might think and might be like i just so 
desperately want to conform and fit in and be like normal quote unquote like everyone else and that is like such a sad way of thinking but I think obviously the story will challenge that for Sushi and I, I really like having a series that is like from this perspective and dealing with like kind of this way of thinking and this type experience like some queer people might go into at certain phases of their lives and I think that is going to be really interesting to explore so I'm really really fascinated and intrigued by this title so looking forward to checking it out when it comes out next year and I believe the release of this will be in May 2024. Now moving on to Dempa, they have a BL title uh, that they've licensed under Kuma called Wolf Pack, which is a one-volume series about the leaders of two rival wolf clans who marry to each other out of custom and they keep the peace. And unlike what you might expect, this is actually on the softer side of BL. It's not quite as spicy. I think I was actually the advantage pattern where there was like little spicy scales for some of the titles of how spicy they were. But Wolfpack was like, as described by the, the Kuma pub rap, it isn't as explicit. It's actually quite sweet. So yeah, I think that is, um you know, really, it sounds like really interesting. And uh, I like the designs of the wolf pack leaders more than anything. I, like, I think they look really cool. So I'm, I'm definitely keen and curious to check it out. I think the big announcement, though, from Dempa that I'd like to talk about, especially, is Autaxi. Denpa is going to release the Autaxi manga in the fourth quarter 2024. Same for Wolfpack. But when this was announced, like, people really reacted. And so Ed was like, oh, well, I guess that's a good sign. <laughs> so, yeah. They've licensed the Autaxi manga. That's coming out. So I think that's really cool. Autaxi is a great series. The manga is different in interesting ways from what I remember Sakaki's Tread. So I really am looking forward to reading it, uh, you know, in official translated capacity. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, that sounds really cool. And hopefully it does really well for them. And I think it helps that it definitely, you know, has a very popular anime because I think that's a big difference maker for a lot of Dempa titles. Because, you know, as another like anecdotal note I just want to bring up, it's like, you know, Heavenly Delusion, you know, Dempa has been releasing that for years. But during the panel, Ed said that Heavenly Delusion before the anime came out was selling atrociously. <laughs> like he used that word atrociously. Like, he anticipated that there'd be an increase in demand from the anime, so he decided to take a gamble on doing a reprint of the first two volumes in anticipation for that. But if the anime had not increased interest in the manga, they would have lost a lot of money on that, and he would probably have canceled uh, releasing Heavenly Delusion outright at that point. The series has been that close to them, like, just stopping doing it because it was doing that fast. But thanks to the anime, you know, increasing interest in the series and that translating to increased sales of the manga, the manga is on its third reprint now and it's, it's doing well for them now. But yeah, that's a big difference maker and a popular anime adaptation. Heavenly Delusion, really close to the license being dropped. So thank God for that anime. So now we're moving on to a new title from One Piece Books, like kind of continuing in the realm of like dramas, psychological dramas like Autaxi. They have announced a title called Tales of the Tendo Family by Saito. This is about the Shion of the Tendo family, Masato, who is meant to marry the daughter of a baron named Ron, but she's a fake. The real Ron has fled after hearing a few make it out of the Tendo family alive, and in her place is a young woman who says she will die if it means saving someone else's life. So it's kind of an interesting, like, kind of murder mystery type series of, like, this mysterious family that no one escapes from, and this girl who is, like, you know, doesn't care if she dies or not. She just wants to help someone out. And in this case, it seems like she just wants to help out the real Ron by like kind of sacrificing herself in her stead. So I think that's super interesting. Like the mystery 
of like, why do people who come and marry into this family like so often, you know, die or don't make it out? And why does this girl like not value her own life in that way? And yeah, I'm curious to check it out when the first volume of this releases on April 9th, 2024. And my last license I want to highlight comes from Dark Horse, which, yes, despite what that rude person interrupted the Dark Horse panel to ask if they had any license announcements. No, they didn't have any license announcements on the panel, but they did have a license announcement in the last couple of months, if you had paid attention. And that is uh, Captain Momo's Secret Base by Kenji Saruta. This series is about a girl named Moshi Moshi Momo, uh, who works from home like many people, but you know, she lives surrounded by books and papers. She's got a cat that's got her own agenda, but, but her office space, you know, is inside a starship. And so relativity means zoom meetings need an extra half an hour just as a Western, which is brutal. <laughs> if you've ever been on a, on any call with a delay or drag, that is a half an hour to wait for a response for someone is brutal. So this series takes place in the year 3019 AD. Humanity has gotten more work casual. Most of the time, Momo doesn't even wear her captain's uniform or anything at all. Board her, like, cargo vessel, the Blue Chateau, and she struggles against Instateller Tedium, company directive is a little battery strengthened. Her cat to Grandpa John. But fear not, equipped with plenty of reading material and a crate of preach liquor, and in the long haul past Proxima Centauri, space slacker Captain Momo is gonna prove Newton correct. A body at rest will main at rest. So I think this is a funny premise about like this spaceship captain who just is like so lazy and doesn't want to work at all. And just her efforts to like kind of get away with not putting much effort into work she's doing, even though she's literally flying a spaceship, uh, a cargo cruiser through space. And she has to deal with all this tedium of like office life in terms of like having to deal with meetings and company directors and stuff. And she's just like, I just want to laze around. I don't want to be bothered. I think that's really funny. So yeah, this is a shorter series. It's going to be 140 page first volume. And the first volume will come out on May 15, 2024. And in addition to this series from Kenji Saruta, Carl Horn did also mention they have another one that in their works they aren't ready to announce yet. So that's exciting. If you're a big fan of Kenji Saruta's works, there's going to be a lot to look forward to uh, from Dark Horse uh, in terms of publishing their stuff next year and beyond. And yeah, that does it for my licensing announcements. Again, there was a lot of great stuff we didn't talk about that got announced in the last couple months. But these are just some of the titles that, you know, we're most looking forward to coming out in the next year that were announced recently. And uh, there's a lot of variety of really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, I think we talked about a lot of great licenses on this episode, uh, as we normally do. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I think we are going to have to cut it here. Let's just forget the fact that like, we've both been kind of busy and we haven't really been able to like record news lately because we're both busy in general. It, also, it's the holiday season, so it's going to happen. But even without that, just so much news comes out every month at this point. It's so hard to cover everything, but we really have been like trying our best to talk about as much as possible. And I think we did a good enough job covering what we could. And yeah, so I'm personally, I'm happy with what we covered, but genuinely, and we'll, we'll get into our plugs in a second, but like, if there's anything that we haven't gotten to, but you like, you really want to hear our thoughts on, like, please feel free to let us know, email us, tweet at us, let us know like what you want to hear our thoughts on. And we'll try to make time on our show to like, you know, let you know how we feel about whatever you want us to talk about. 
Yeah, please let us know if there are any topics that we've missed over the past year, and especially the past couple of months, that you like to hear our talks on. Because we know there are some bigger stories that we just didn't get a chance to address. I mean, you know, just recently, you know, Tagashi revealed like, oh, I have like these planned eddings for Hunter Hunter. So, you know, we're not going to be able to have a chance to really dig into that. But if you want to hear us talk about that, you know, maybe we could uh, figure out some way to work that into our next news episode talk about like new anime news like you know the new dragon ball series which yeah you know that's pretty big let us know if you want to hear us talk about that so just like let us know what you want to hear us talk about in terms of like news or topics and we will figure out a way to incorporate them into future news episodes or dedicate different podcast episodes to them oh man guys I'm so sad we don't have enough time to talk about it, but man, if we did, I feel like we could go on it for at least an hour about Dragon Ball Daima in particular. <laughs> There's a lot to dig into there. It looks great. It looks so fun. I'm looking forward to it. That's what I'll yeah, say same. about same. it right now. Yeah. Also interested to see like what Bobbity this role is going to be because they showed a lot of Bobbity, interestingly, in that trailer. I'm like, whoa. What, what is that? They're bringing Bobbity back in relevance? Interesting. I mean, of all the characters to bring back, that's certainly an interesting choice. Yeah. Supreme Kai is going to be traveling with Goku to these other places in kitty forms. You know, it's interesting. Interesting how they're playing with the, the magical mythos. Of Toriyama Ball. is more involved than normal, which is huge. He's literally overseeing, like, different cuts of animation and stuff. Like, he is actually, like, actually involved and in not just giving people outlines of, like, what they should do. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it's like, well... You know, let's do GT again, but let's have everyone be a kid and let's make it more interesting and good, I guess. I, I guess, yeah. Well, I think there we go. I think that we, we talked about it pretty succinctly. Yeah, yeah, now. for sure, for sure. But uh, yeah, if you want to hear us talk about more, um, yeah, just let us know. There's definitely a lot of things that have come out recently in terms of news that we definitely uh, could. We would be interested to know what you want to hear us talk about most in particular. For sure. Yeah. But for now, like I said, that's going to be the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. I think the plan for right now, we, we kind of mentioned it a couple times throughout the episode, but most likely the next episode you can look forward to is a Cyberpubs episode that we want to try to record and release before the end of the year. But until our next episode of the podcast, we're going to let you guys know where you can find us and all of our stuff. Starting with my good friend Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramiyasha on X, the website formerly known as Twitter. As well as other places like Animation Revelation, Annie List, Letterboxd, wherever there's Lum Ramiyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews and find my other podcasts on mangabarics.com. We got a lot of con coverage planned to be published soon, a lot of reviews planned to be published soon. I have other podcasts in the works from our sub podcasts like Mangabarics on TV and Manga Red Side Movies and Lump Squad that are coming. So look forward to more in there. Speaking of Lump Squad, you can also follow that on Twitter. Our podcast focused to the wonderful Wacky World of Kodahashi's classic sci-fi rom-com Yurisayatsura, covering the manga, the classic anime, the reboot anime, the movies, and more. And you can find that on social media, x at lum underscore squad. Uh, you can search for our channel name in a YouTube search bar, and you can also find us on every podcast platform you can think of, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You can also cross episodes of the Monarchs feed and post episodes early, oftentimes much early, on the Monarchs Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the animations and illustrations that I do, the thumbnails I draw for a podcast. You can find all that stuff on my Instagram at SidArtworks. Alright, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. 
I also host and produce my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, that's my personal blog where you can click on the podcast page and check out all my other stuff, including stuff I'm not recording anymore, but I still want to link anyway, and even all the guest spots I've done for other podcasts over the 10 years I've been doing this. So once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com if you want to check out literally any other podcasting projects I'm a part of. But as for this show, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited, as well as select episodes of anything else under the Manga Mavericks podcasting umbrella, such as the Demon Slayer podcast, Saturday Night Shoggy, Oversoul Shaman King podcast, So Do You Want to Read Manwa, and so much more. But again, those are only select episodes of those shows, so if you want more consistent content, you really should sign up for the $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. Right now, our newest bonus podcast is the newest episode of the Manga Mavericks Anime Club, where right now our good friend Sakaki and I are going through our very first watch-through of Hajime no Ippo. You heard me right, it's our very first time watching this show. It's been a lot of fun so far. We're definitely looking forward to watching and recording about more soon. So if you want to keep up with us on our EPO journey, once again, patreon.com slash at the $5 tier so you can listen to that, along with basically whatever bonus podcast we've done over the four years that we've been recording extra podcasts for the Patreon in particular. We have so much good extra bonus content for you there. If you have not listened to it yet, I highly recommend it. And just in general, if you sign up for the Patreon, honestly, it's the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here on the show, because every set we make through the Patreon goes back into the show in some way, shape, or form, whether that be keeping the website up, keeping the podcast up, materials for the show, sudden emergency technical difficulties, whatever you can think of, it all goes back into the show some way, somehow, and we really cannot thank you guys enough for your patronage and your support. It really means the world to us. So once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks go there and sign up to support us and listen to some good podcasts but as for everything else you could follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks blue sky at manga mavericks.bsky.social and on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we upload different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the sample pubs we covered on this episode? Are there any manga that you're reading that you want to tell us about or maybe that you want us to cover on the show? Email us anything about manga, the podcast, whatever. We love getting emails from you guys because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Once again, mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you could do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show on these platforms. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. All right, but that's going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 237, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 238. Bye, guys. Sayonara!